Hey everyone, welcome to the Lonely Mountain Mystics podcast, episode 10, and this is the one about salvation. Before we get started, I have just a few things to draw your attention to. First, we would love for you to check out the website, LonelyMountainMystics.com. There you'll find ways to reach out to us, you'll find a blog in the show notes. You'll also find a link to our Patreon page, where you can financially support the work that we do. There are several different tiers of support, with the first starting at just $1 a month. They all come with some thank you perks as well, just little things and ways for us to say we appreciate you. So check that out if you're interested. Finally, if you do enjoy the podcast, leaving a review in Apple Podcasts is one of the best ways to show your support, and it helps others discover us as well. All right, let's dive in. All right, well, thank you guys for being here. We're going to talk about kind of, I think, where a lot of the episodes have kind of led us to, right? We've we've spent this whole first season really unpacking a lot of evangelical Christianity and sort of like the basic tenets that build up evangelical Christianity, and it kind of leads us to this topic of salvation. What is salvation? What is it for? What does it mean? And as we've been unpacking things, I guess my only question for tonight is kind of where does that leave us with this topic of salvation? Growing up, I was taught, and I'll, I think I'll speak for all of us, but you guys can correct me if this is not the case, I was brought up to believe that the whole point of this is so that we are saved from eternal hell so that we get to go to heaven when we die. Um, that's really, that's kind of the end game. But if that's not the case, if some of the stuff that we've unpacked over the previous episodes changes the way we view that, yeah, where does that lead us? What do you guys think? Who wants to go first? First, thanks for saying that because I feel like a lot of what we've talked about so far has kind of led to this point. I thought about the idea of talking about salvation and I'm like, well, we've kind of, we have covered a lot of those topics through the other things we've done so far. One thing I'm really interested to hear your thoughts about, um, each of you, is what you think about salvation was always a very individual idea. You know, it's between you and God. It's each individual person praying a prayer, having this set of beliefs. That was what was told to me, right? It was each individual. But as I've learned more, I've started to learn about the more collective ideas. So like, for example, like the theme in the scriptures, starting with Exodus, of liberation, which is a much more collective idea. And I would even, I'm learning, I'm not, anywhere near qualified to to really teach about it or talk about it, but I'm learning a lot about current black liberation theology, which is a much more collective mindset, much less about like each person believing a certain thing and then going somewhere else better when they die to escape eternal punishment and much more about the collective healing of the world right here and right now in the midst of what people are actually experiencing. Which to me, like that got me really excited when I started to learn that there were these other ideas that aren't so individualistic and aren't so escapist, aren't so somewhere else, some other time, but they're eminent, meaning like they're about what's happening here and now and they're collective, meaning, you know, that all our lives are 
connected to one another's. So salvation in those terms is much different. It makes me think about like, what do we think about the planet? You know, what do we think about when it it comes to systemic oppression and, and opposing that? Like, are those issues of collective salvation? So I'm interested if you guys have already thought about that or what your, yeah, what your thoughts are there. I am. The idea of collective salvation is not altogether new to me. I remember growing up and, and my mother kind of talking to me about some of those ideas that you can kind of find in the Old Testament about specifically with, you know, the nation of Israel. Yeah, I, I mean, they, it was a collective, right? They either all prospered or they all went into exile kind of a thing. And so this idea of um, salvation could be collective. And the idea that your identity is found not individually, but in a group is something that I heard growing up. That said, what you've just presented is even more different from that, because the context with which that was told to me was still in a context of... uh, yeah, a tribe, and it, but it was still, again, still the end game is going to heaven when you die. So there really wasn't any change there. So I, I like what you said because it kind of connects a few things for me. It's interesting. I think the idea of, you know, uh, a collective identity versus an individual identity is one of the main things that we as Westerners miss. Yeah when looking at the Bible, right? It's written from this Jewish perspective that is so much more collective uh, as opposed to being individual. And that's a really hard thing for us to see past. Every time someone reminds me of that, I I try to hold on to it a little bit because I'm so quick to forget it. So, yeah. Yeah. For me, and, and I think I speak probably for most of us, the idea of salvation was about a specific act that you could do that was, you know, more or less was transactional. And so what what I mean by that is that, generally speaking, there was a prayer that you could pray, the sinner's prayer, where you would basically confess that you were a sinner, that Jesus was Lord, uh, and that the only way to get into heaven was through a relationship with Jesus. And once you've said that prayer, you were in. You were a member of the club, you had your ticket into heaven, and you were done because there, at least in the churches that I grew up in, there was a huge emphasis on salvation through faith. Therefore, we didn't need to do anything other than that one prayer. And once we had done that, we were done. We could kind of like wipe our hands of pretty much anything else that we needed to be concerned about. So as you're describing it, Andy, the idea of like communal salvation and stuff like that, or group salvation, specifically liberation theology, which I think is super interesting and really amazing. And it's probably the most healthy way that I've seen an idea of a wrathful God painted because the times that I've heard about liberation theology, it's about the idea of this God that wants to save you regardless the cost. It's really reminiscent to how a lot of churches interpret when Jesus got angry and kicked the tax collectors out of the the temple. This idea of almost a wrathful, angry, uh, righteous anger coming out saying that, you know, we will do what it takes to save people that are oppressed. Um, and so I, I definitely enjoyed and enjoy the, you know, 
what I've learned about that that aspect, at least how it ties back to Exodus of liberation theology and stuff like that. But collectively, I'm more interested in a salvation that is concerned about uh, less about co- converting people and more about how can we bring the kingdom of heaven to earth? How can we make the earth healthier? How can we make the quality of lives better? How can we find Christ in the least of us in humanity? How can we seek out injustice and correct oppression and stuff like that? I'm much more interested in, in that idea than I am in, in, in converting people to anything. Yeah, Will, you uh, you put me onto a book. It was, I think, one of the first ones I kind of read when I was starting looking at things a little differently. Was surprised by hope. Ah, there it is. I got it written Wright. down in my notes. There, good. Yep. Yeah, because it it does talk a lot about that idea of it was never about us going to heaven. It was always about bringing heaven to earth. If you look at the Bible and you look at the New Testament, that is. Every reference is about heaven coming here, not about us going there. Mm-hmm. Since it's in your notes, Will, do you want to kind of speak to that a little bit? Sure. Um, yeah, so, so, so Surprised by Hope is, is N.T. Wright, who's a renowned scholar, kind of writing in like layman's terms um, about, the, about the idea of salvation and how it has been portrayed in the Bible and how it should be interpreted as opposed to the very individual like Western idea that we've had of it, which is that salvation is just all about us somehow getting ourselves into heaven. Um, or if you're a Calvinist with God getting us into heaven, despite literally everything that we do. Um, what? I'm trying to decide if I want to ask you to unpack that a little bit. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I'm not oh, sure what everyone knows what a Calvinist Fair is. Fair enough. Okay. I mean, you don't have to go into like all five. Right, yeah. Um, I would uh, A core pillar of Calvinist theology is that, uh, is that God chooses those who are saved. And if you are saved, you can only be sure by revelation of the Holy Spirit which is a whole other weird thing that I don't quite understand how it works in the system, but it does internally. Um, anyway, none of us are Calvinists. Shocker. <laughs> to no one's surprise. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, it's, it would, I would say that's an extreme, uh, an extreme idea of salvation, which is there is absolutely no act that humans can do that, earn or disqualify you from salvation, which turns into a whole interesting thing. Um, so, so N.T. Wright is moving away from that traditional, like Western idea, which it traditional is not even the right word for that because we, it's still very modern. It's yeah. It like that idea didn't even exist until Europe tore itself apart and killed each other for believing different things about the Bible. One thing that I thought was really, really useful about that book was that, um, like like had, how Devin had mentioned, bringing the kingdom of God to earth, that N.T. Wright will describe this, or he will describe heaven as an infiltration of goodness into the world, which in, he's reconnecting with the idea that, uh, that there is a new heaven and a new earth, and that the, the end result of salvation in heaven is literally enjoying like a new Eden, mm-hmm. um, which... I probably, to be totally honest, have probably departed from that idea 
um, as a part of my like thinking, but that was super important for me to consider at the time. And it was a huge move from where I had been with salvation to where I am now. Like salvation, I've written my notes and at this point, I'm just going to go ahead and start talking about what, like what I've prepared. Salvation was the linchpin topic for my, for my deconstruction and primarily how I started encountering it in Surprised by Hope, which I think for me was almost, oh gosh, almost a decade ago. Like, yeah, when my first year in college or first year at Lincoln rather. And so like long story short, basically once I decided to let go of the idea of salvation, everything else had a lot easier time fitting into place with a livable, what I would consider like a livable religious philosophy that I, that I now have rather than trying to shove myself into systems that I couldn't totally buy into. What do you mean by let go of salvation? Yeah. So what I, so what I mean by let go of salvation is like, we were like, you've like, we've all mentioned, we were kind of brought up to be almost obsessed with salvation. That it is like you refer to Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and savior. And those specific words in that order really meant something that he is your personal Lord and savior. Any talk about heaven that I heard growing up, like in youth group, was that we are somehow escaping the world and going somewhere in the clouds to worship for the rest of eternity. And oh my God, did I really not want that? But I didn't want the alternative, which sounded only slightly worse, <laughs> but still worse. So I was, initi- I was initially like terrified of, sal- uh, of salvation, like boy, I kind of want to live as long as possible because I don't want to, I just don't want that. I don't want to live forever and not enjoy it because I don't like, I don't like singing to God. <laughs> I was like 12 when, <laughs> when, when I was first exposed to that. Um, yeah, so eternal life was never an attractive idea to me. Um, I don't think, I think a lot of people might think that's weird, but I don't know, when people talk about like how important salvation was, I was just like, yeah. That doesn't sound awesome. Like I've heard that a lot, and it's interesting to me because really? it's not okay. been my experience. Oh, like okay. I was one of the people that would have been like, "Hey, yeah, no, I like singing." I guess I just told myself that if it's supposed to be great, I guess I'll like it when I get there. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Like, yeah. It's whatever. It, whatever it is, it's going to be something that I like. It's going to be good. Right. Yeah. But what you're saying, I've heard a lot of. I've heard a lot of people say that. that oh, it's good. just like there's dozens of us. Yeah. <laughs> dozens. <laughs> Well, that's, well, that's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure that I've heard too many people say that. I've had a lot of people be like, oh yeah, I get, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. I've had, I mean, that idea of like eternity worshiping God is, uh, I've, I've usually heard that dis, the, you know, the, the opposition to that being a good idea from like my atheist friends. And from there, I think that was probably ultimately, not ultimately, but that was one of the stronger turning points in me de- starting to deconstruct faith. And I started looking at like, what does heaven actually look like? You know, what does scripture actually describe heaven as? Because the ideas of what I was given of heaven, of just like us sitting on a cloud singing, never stopping. I was like, Ben, I was like, you know, I'm sure I'll like it. I mean, it's heaven, right? Isn't that's the point. And then as I started to read more into scripture, heaven started taking on different pictures, different ideas, getting comfortable with different ideas. And that really started kind of putting me down the path of, uh, deconstructing my faith and really just looking at it for myself. Mm-hmm. Sorry, keep going, man. 
Yeah, so so Devin, I I relate to that. One of the biggest problems that I now see looking back at how I'd been taught to think about salvation was the fact that it is inherently disembodied, at least in the way that it's presented in Western theology. Um, and as someone who's continually trying to reconcile their mind with their body, hearing that from a younger age turned out to not be so helpful, <laughs> uh, look, looking back at it. And to, to Andy's point initially about, about collective salvation, when you have a disembodied individual salvation, co- like a collective salvation is a totally, is a totally new idea. It's not even like, it's not even, I don't even think it's like in the same realm of, of thought. Like it's just so, it's just so far away. Who would ever care about collective salvation if you're given that idea? Yeah. It's just a complete paradigm shift. Right. Exactly. So that's, so that, that is, I think initially like the biggest, the biggest issue that I see with Western theology. Yeah. Before you move on from that, cause I think that's a really important point about, um, that this particular way of understanding salvation that we grew up with separated us from our bodies. Um, I was hearing somebody talk about this recently that like Jonathan Edwards was one of the like f- more famous early American preachers. Uh, yeah. Um, who like, I mean, like it's sad now cause I remember growing up like really think like thinking highly of him, um, you know, in terms of just like, oh man, this is somebody who really was like doing doing the thing right like doing the thing and and uh it's so sad because like i mean to learn now that like one of the that like jonathan edwards was a slave owner so like these ideas these ideas that salvation is something that happens apart from our bodies that this is a soul that your soul is more important than your body so it doesn't matter so much what we do to one another. It doesn't matter so much what we do to ourselves as long as our soul has like checked these boxes so that it can go some other place at some other time right. up and away. You know, there's just this very, this very like escapist, very, um, very, uh, yeah, disembodied idea, which allows, allowed things like slavery allowed things like those like those kind of visceral harms um i have to think that that separation of soul from body kind of like acted as a host you know for that for that kind of cruelty yeah you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yeah i think that makes a lot of sense like so one of the things just to kind of tap on to jonathan edwards a little bit he was also a calvinist which, yeah, like to me, it's it's not about like, yeah, I'm not trying to like throw shade though, though that's exactly what I'm about to do. Um, but it was one of those things that whenever I heard about Jonathan Edwards leading like the largest conversion in America and um, being one of the foundational uh theologians of American history. And on top of that, like it was like, oh, well, he was also a Calvinist. It really gave me pause to the idea of like, well, maybe there is like special people who are picked out by God just to get into heaven. Maybe other people aren't. And the problem is, is that like that ideology is super problematic because of how easy it is to condone really 
shitty behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In that, in that model, which probably a lot of people listening to this were probably exposed to that as well, other people matter only insofar as it affects you. Like you, the way that you treat people might have something to do with your salvation, but that is solely for your own benefit Mm -hmm. to treat other people well, not because they deserve it, not because they are fully enfleshed, embodied human beings with agency, but they're, they're objects. They're objects for you to love in a very one-dimensional way, which is telling them about salvation because we need as many people on the boat as possible, right? Like, I think yeah. that, I think that ultimately misses a connection with yeah. with other people. Like, I, I think what you just said just reminded me of an experience I had, like, during my de my like my the initial parts of my deconstruction was that I think I just realized wow, I like I've missed. I've missed opportunities to actually just really love people. Mm-hmm. I was like, I remember I was with, uh, it was like some guy who was cutting my hair. I just like, I knew that he didn't grow up the way I grew up, didn't believe what I used to believe. And I knew that I would have formally just been stressed, just been stressed about that, right? Like that worried that he was gonna go to hell, worried that like I am responsible in some way for him, for that, you know, to prevent that from happening. Mm -hmm. But then like to have that weight fall away to realize like, no, like this human being is a child of God as much as I am. And, and like the feeling of really loving someone is so different than like what you're saying, like that, that one dimensional thing where you're like, I'm loving you, but it's cause I'm so anxious. I'm so stressed. <laughs> like, you yeah, know, I think that's what's best for you. Cause I've been told that. Yeah. Right. You're just projecting this out from, you know, the message you've received from your community. So I really connect with that. Like, thanks for, thanks for hitting on that. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. You're uh, yeah, you're, you're welcome. I think, Probably like the final, I think the final thing I have to say about salvation is that um, I think for me, when that stopped being the end goal, I felt like I was able to encounter people in a different way. Um, When I was no longer concerned about whether or not they were saved, I felt like I was actually able to see people. And that that has been pretty fruitful, I think, for and just looking at the diversity of the relationships that I have now. Um, as a, I think part of that also has to do with the fact that I don't work at a church and not all of my friends are from church. But it's really great to not, to truly not care about whether or not, like, my roommate is saved. Because I don't think that, I don't think that that's, or the idea of salvation that I had, I don't think that that was true. It's nice to be able to listen to, yeah, to, you know, to listen and meet people like where they're at without concern for that like greater good, which sounds, 
probably is going to sound pretty heinous to a lot of people, but yeah. But how often do we miss out? I I hear that about, yeah. About that being heinous to no, I I just, how you can really see people. Yeah. Yeah. When you're so concerned about convincing people about Jesus, you miss getting to just be with people. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's a pretty concise thing. And that you can, you can sit and suffer together and just be with them. You can sit and have joy together and just be with them. You can sit and connect. And ultimately, isn't that really what Christ was all about? Like suffering together, about carrying each other's burdens, about loving each other, about meeting people where they're at and just being with them. It was less about like this transactional idea of like salvation and stuff. So I I don't know. I think I really am in, enjoying hearing you know what you guys are sharing um but i've got a couple other thoughts but will i want to finish hearing <laughs> what you've got to say i was gonna say like to that i mean to that point if you so functionally is like because i guess this is kind of how i look at most theological topics now functionally like how does this change my life so if i'm sitting with somebody previously if i've been sitting with somebody and was concerned about whether or not they were saved I would feel the pressure to evangelize to them, which sucks because I hate evangelizing for literally, literally anything. I am the worst hype man in the world, especially for something that I'm afraid of. Um, so that made high school and like early college pretty pretty confusing. Yeah, I just, I, I, sorry, so, I can identify with that, Will, because yeah. I missed out on so many opportunities to just be a real friend. Mm-hmm. I was super concerned about trying to save all of my friends because I was worried that I would be the reason why they went to hell. I was worried that me not taking the opportunity to like ask them, hey, have you found Jesus yet? Um, And it really just alienated us from each other. And I don't just mean because it like made me the weird kid who was like super obsessed with Jesus. It was because of the fact that it alienated us from one another in the sense that we couldn't have a conversation about like, hey, I'm struggling with X, Y, or Z and me just sit there and be with them. Like, hey, I'm having a hard time because my parents got a divorce and here I am trying to throw Jesus and their eternal damnation or not into the mix of it. And it's like, well, no, man, let's just hang out. And I'm really sorry that your parents got a divorce. What can I do to help? How can I love you? And if nothing else, do you just want me to sit here and cry with you? Do you want me to sit here and like, go help you unpack or move or, you know, figure out what you need to do. Like what, what can I do? But I was so concerned that I missed out on being there with them. And we, I alienated us from one another. The idea of hell that we were given like eternal conscious torment, which I don't have, I, we might've talked about in the previous episode, but I honestly can't remember. I, I don't think that we've talked about it in context of like specific other mm. like end games. Like, yeah, there's, there's a hell that is eternal conscious torment, mm-hmm. which is exactly what it sounds like. There's another <laughs> way to look at it that it's like, well, hell is just eternal separation from God, which just means eternal death in some kind of, way Mm -hmm. there's also annihilationism which means um if you just if you weren't saved when you die you just cease to exist and just lights out and that's it which i'm like boy would i pay money for that for that one to be like verifiably true (laughs) (laughs) there's also the extra worse one which is like 
no, I guess you kind of got it with the eternal conscious suffering and torment. Yeah, that's that's kind like of that's the worst like one. just like a super light. <laughs> well, but I feel like that's a really light description of burning eternally in the flames of hell. Like e- eternal conscious torment. Oh, that's yeah, exact, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it's the same thing. <laughs> Listen, anyways, <laughs> well, I was gonna say like for me, like letting hell fall away, which Rob Bell had something to do with that. Um, like letting. <laughs> Let letting that fall away I felt like released me from that fear induced idea of salvation that that salvation's preferable because it's better it's like the slightly better alternative and at the end of the I I don't know at the at the, at the end of the day I feel like I wound up encountering people more like Jesus would have and I'm sure that's up for debate for people that know me um that's a joke. Because <laughs> um, I'm certifiably more like Jesus now. Um, no, I feel like I, at the end of the day, encountered people in the way that you probably would, that Jesus probably would have wanted you to, more so than just kind of being like an evangelical automat- like automaton. Just following the rules, saying the prayers, trying to evangelize the people. And like kind of hitting, hitting your goals, like, yeah, that I'm glad I'm over that. I hope other people are too. So having talked about kind of these things, we've unpacked a little bit about what we don't think salvation is or accomplishes. If we, if we did go back to the Bible, we would see it talk you know, about salvation quite a bit. It seems to be a, a, a general theme of Jesus's. What do you guys think he's talking about? And we touched a little bit on this, Andy, you kind of led off at the beginning, um, talking a little bit about what that means. And then Will talking about N.T. Wright, Surprised by Hope. Um, but I kind of, there's, it's interesting when you read the New Testament, there's like a bunch of different ways that people are quote unquote saved. Yeah. And growing up, all of them got ignored except for like John three sixteen, mm-hmm. like for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Like that was it. Mm-hmm. And then like the story of Zacchaeus, right. who gives all his money to the poor and Jesus says, and today salvation has come to this house. Right. It was just kind of like, oh yeah, he did a nice thing and we should be nice too. Mm-hmm. But that's not, that's not salvation. That's like, so I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I'm glad you're bringing that up because that was that was super interesting to me early on in this whole process. It was like, okay, even just observing the text itself, even just learning from the way Jesus moves and talks, everything is so completely nuanced and specific, right? Like for one person, it's like their body being well is like, that's the story for them. And for another person, it's like, right, you have the rich person who's like, hey, you got to give your money away. That's that's what's going to... And it, so it's almost, like, it's almost like you have to understand that Jesus clearly meant something else by the word salvation. Like, he's not talking about what we are talking about. When, and it like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, you like, almost have to kind of, okay, you look at every individual story that ends in quote unquote salvation. What's, mm-hmm. There must be a common denominator. Right, which, is, which seems to be way more like discovering 
like like becoming fully alive you, mm. like that that would be like the best way that i could think of like the common denominator of of all these experiences is you know jesus is entering all these spaces where these people have a very like you said devin it, i mean it's so spot on with that story you were telling of like okay if you enter a situation where someone is grieving you know what you don't do is you bring some kind of like three steps to this thing that's not that's not it it's not going to be that's not going to be their their story that's not the next page for them that's not them calling coming fully alive so like and you watch it you just observe jesus do it like you know for one person you know he's just like i don't what about like the girl who's like caught in adultery he's just like then i don't condemn you either so just go you know just go and start over you know, it's so like for one person, it's just permission, just permission. Hey, you're okay. Don't worry about it. You're okay. Uh, for another person, it's like, hey, you got to do something. You got to change your life. Like you got to change your priorities and the way you spend your money because that's going to connect you to to the people around you. It's going to bring you fully alive. So it's like, it's so nuanced. And so it, it's so much more interesting, actually. <laughs> like but It's so much more profound. So, um, so I, I'm, I'm, trying to organize my thoughts and I thought they were organized and then you guys have phenomenal stuff to say and it just threw me for a little bit but but I really love what you're saying Andy because this it's this idea of um so I was listening to my buddy Paul who uh, preaches in Ojai Valley Church um, but he was talking about Diedrich Bonhoeffer Diedrich Bonhoeffer is famous because he was one of the first uh, and probably only or, or very, very few Christian churches in Nazi Germany that stood up and said, Hitler's not doing good things and this is bad. And as a Christian, we have a responsibility to stand against injustice, oppression, hatred, nationalism that is taking uh, us towards elitism, that's separating us uh, from one another, that's separating us from community. Um, and so, you know, he was like, it is our duty and our moral obligation, and it is, it is the interworkings of our salvation that we help each other out. And I love this idea of the fact, uh, you know, I think it hits on what you're talking about, about um, group salvation or, and I know I keep getting that term wrong, but it hits on this idea of that our salvation is, is how we live out our faith in bringing heaven to earth, right? It wasn't about Jesus coming to earth so we could get into heaven. It was about God coming to earth, the divine becoming man, so we could understood what it meant to be human. And this idea of being able to sit in humanity and to be able to sit with each other in our humanity, it's so huge. And when you look at the other salvation stories in the Bible or all of them, um, it's all about like these nuanced, these specific, these ideas of how to go and live out a newer, better, healthier life. It was about some sort of healing, some sort of um, depth of health that wasn't being achieved and Jesus intersecting with their life, leading to this new level of health and greater humanity. Um, but ultimately, 
the quote unquote nail in the coffin of my concern about like transactional salvation was really whenever I started listening to uh, people who would quote N.T. Wright or, you know, listening to Rob Bell or William Paul Young or other people who were just like, why are we so concerned about where we're going to be after we die? Because heaven and hell start right now. Like heaven and hell start are, are happening today. I've experienced conscious torment. I've experienced bliss that can only be described as the awe and wonder of being in the presence of God. Like heaven and hell start a long time before you die. And we're all here right now. So that for me was when I was like, salvation, that stupid prayer, I don't care about it anymore. It's pointless. It's a waste. Where I'm making a really unexpected transition <laughs> is that I I don't I don't like the prayer, but I wish we had something, something that was meaningful and significant that acted as what is that catalyst moment? What is that moment in your personal history where you go from uh, BC to AD? What is that? intersection where you are no longer the old man but have become the new man what what how do we celebrate that right when i got married okay the wedding day was this huge important thing and then after i got married i realized it's really not the most important day today is the most important day of my marriage and tomorrow that will be the most important day of my marriage and so on and so forth that the wedding day really only mattered in the significance of it was the beginning of a new journey. It was this this ceremony, this celebration, this beginning of a new journey where I am no longer my old self and I am starting on a new path, whatever that looks like, whatever that means. And it didn't it didn't mean that I was different. It didn't mean that I was overnight changed, just like that stupid prayer doesn't mean that. It didn't mean even though I expected it to mean that. It didn't mean any of these things, but there was something there that said, I am now taking a left turn to a new path that I've never been on before. And I really miss that idea. And I wonder what it could be because for me, about a year ago, I I got baptized again and it was amazing. My wife baptized me, which so awesome for so many reasons, you know, the fact that She's a woman in the church baptizing me as one. The fact that it's, you know, my hero, the fact that it's my best friend. Anyway, so many reasons why it was phenomenal. And I loved it. And I love how meaningful like that moment has been since that moment for me. And I'm, I want to know, like, what can we do to mark that journey in a beautiful way? Because I think it really is important. Because even though my wedding day wasn't the most important day of my marriage, it's still really important. It's still really beautiful and it still had a lot of significance and it meant a lot. But how do we have this idea of what the prayer is meant, what I think or what, you know, part of me thinks it originally was intended to be is this moment that starts us on a new journey. How do we have something like that? Because I really wonder, like, what does that look like? Because I think the vagueness of I don't, I don't know. I, I just think there's something beautiful about making a declarative statement that says, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to be the adulterous 
woman who just goes and doesn't do it anymore. I'm going to be the, the short guy who's a greedy asshole who gives away all of his wealth and fortune to somebody else. And by the way, I'm, I'm not just, I'm re- referencing specific stories in the Bible if you haven't seen it, but like how, what does it look like for that moment when I interact with Jesus that says, I'm no longer the old person and I, I'm now something new? Like, what does that look like? Sorry. Baptism. Or like, I, I mean, mean, like historically, like, with like I, the early church, that wouldn't, that be, wouldn't that be baptism? I don't know. Is it? Because like when I was told about baptism, baptism was the outward profession of an inward change. Um, so baptism was what happened after. No, 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 no. But baptism is what happened after I prayed the prayer. Sure. Okay. Baptism wasn't as important as praying the prayer. Sure. Sorry, was that, were you, you were going to say something? No, go. I, I do know. like how you guys took my really complex thing. We're like, it, it's this, Devin. You're, you're, <laughs> you're dumb and you haven't been reading anything. It's this, it's baptism. Anyways. Well, I don't think that there's one moment like that. I mean, I think that you can have the declarative moments, but ultimately, like you already said, like those don't really matter. Like we're, we're constantly progressing. We're constantly changing. Our lives are fluid and dynamic. There might be moments that we continually reference. Uh, like I can think of several turning points in my life that play into how I develop now. But I think the most important thing now is just how I continue to be. So I think that those were cool moments. I wish I, I, wish I shared the passion <laughs> that, that, you, that you have for the, for the beauty of those moments. And I don't think that they're not beautiful. I just think... No, that's that's well, that's over now. What's what's still happening? Right. Yeah. I, I get I get what you're saying though, but yeah. I mean, if, if there was one if there was one thing that we did permanently, and the, that changed something permanently, I think I think that'd be kind of cool. But I also feel like we wouldn't have a sense of agency moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that there's any example of one event happening in someone's life and then everything is perfect from there on out right it's always going to be a journey and yeah you might you might mark points along the journey that were meaningful to you but it's always going to be a journey and i guess if you're if you're saying like you want to mark the start of that journey right 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 cuz i know you mark it however you want to mark it i guess but yeah, to me, I, I wonder, I, I don't know. I love the idea of something that marks the beginning of a new journey. Does it bother you to make it up yourself? No, but I don't have the answer yet. But apparently the answer is baptism. And I just I just have not been reading well or thoroughly enough. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I would... It's probably the, like the best <laughs> argument. Like growing up in the church, you've just taken seven minutes to explain the, the best argument I've ever heard for baptism. <laughs> like, that's it. Yeah, I mean, but... And that's well, now like, I'm done. I that's guess like a my, really traditional way. I, I, I guess I just like, you know, if, you, if it's important to you, mark it however you want, man. Like, I see you, you're like this kind of person who's you've got like odd tattoos and that mean things to only i mean you're you're basically an expert at doing this exact thing that you want to do so just keep doing that thanks man thanks but no i do i do just love the idea of of um i wish in in western culture that we made 
more of a preparation for and more of a significance out of beginning a new journey. And I just don't think we do a good job of it because I think that the salvation has always been treated as a destination that once you pray the prayer, you're done. You're done. You got your ticket. You got your ticket. You know, you, you're on the life raft off the Titanic. You're done. You don't have to do any more. And I, I don't, the finality of it is really bothersome. And, but the idea of a new journey of a, I'm going somewhere different than I was heading before. I wish just as a Western culture that we did a better job talking about that. And I think for me, like I said, it started with thinking about my two children. You know, I want to prepare them for adulthood, but I arrived at adulthood, but never felt like I got there. You know what I'm saying? Like legally I became an adult at 18, but I still had so many questions. I didn't know what it meant to be an adult. I didn't know what it looked like to start on that new journey. I just sort of eventually coasted past a line I didn't know I had even reached. And so it was always a weird experience to just kind of be like, I I guess I'm here now versus saying, I've been working or I've been preparing, or today I decide it is time to begin X, Y, or Z. And so I, I, I wish that there was a better way in Western culture that we did that type of intentionality without making it into this, into the, into the destination. Will, I see you furiously scribbling over there. Let's go. Oh, well, if it makes you feel any better, were you just doodling? Uh, I was, I mean, I was just filling in lines. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I've got, I have a question for all. It'll be the last question, but oh. my question is, are you saved? Huh. Oh, who's going to go first? I don't know. And I don't care. I'm just going to lay it out. I don't know, and I don't care. So I'm still going to try to behave and continue to try to, to the extent that I can, develop to be as godly as possible, regardless. Because at the end of the day, I think that that would wind up being the best existence while I'm alive. I don't know. I guess I would be gambling here, and I could be wrong. But I don't think that I would regret that while passing away. So, um, before I answer, these were these were kind of my thoughts on my way over here tonight for us to record this episode. But um, I think that an overactive concern with whether or not you're saved in my opinion, is symptoms of a lack of faith and a lack of appropriate prioritization. You know, in Acts and and Philippians, um, both times it's talked about the idea that at some point every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, right? That at some point everyone will acknowledge, you know, God. So for me, when we're overly concerned about it, to me, my question for a person who's overly concerned is, do you really believe that God is love? Do you really believe 
in redemption? Do you really believe in growth? Do you really believe in things like that? And, and I wonder that because of all the people that I know that were really struggling with the idea of salvation or were overly concerned with were they saved or not, for a lot of them, there was so much doubt and fear and anxiety there. And, and I don't know that that's ever the point of salvation is to have doubt, fear, or anxiety. But for me personally, I don't, I don't know if I care anymore if I'm saved or not. Because again, I don't, I don't think it's the point to get my last ticket out. I don't think, it, I don't think salvation is as much a destination as it is a journey. Yeah, so, that, so I'm saying with the way that you're thinking differently about salvation now. Oh, I see. Would you consider yourself saved? Oh, oh, I misunderstood I, the question. Oh, I think with the way that I think about it, the question would be nonsense just because it's just not even a, it's not even a concern. Yeah. I think that there are uh, more, m- with the way I think of it now, I think that there's going to be more uh, non-believers who are saved uh, then there are going to be Christians who are saved. Um, that's spicy. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way I think about it now, but I don't, I don't care if I am or not. I just want to be say closer going to, to be, that's problematic to me. Like you're basically referencing the old system. When you do that, you're saying like at someday when some reckoning happens, like, what are you talking about? Yeah. So I don't, I don't know about heaven or hell, right? I don't know if heaven or hell exists. Uh, I also don't care to know the answer. Right. Um, so I personally, um, if heaven is real, I think that there's going to be a lot more, uh, non Christians that are in there than there are going to be Christians that are in there. Um, because I believe that what uh, we in Christianity have appropriated as salvation, I think we've misappropriated and that we've abused the term and contorted it into something it was never meant to be by making it a final transaction that gets you in and gives you and, and means that you are, no, are now exempt uh, from correcting oppression, seeking out injustice and taking care of people whose needs aren't being met. Um, so I think that when you look at people who are acting Christ-like, whether or not they confess Jesus or not, and whether or not every aspect of their life confesses intimacy with Christ, I think that is ultimately what, if we, if heaven is real, ultimately what um, it means to be somebody who is going to go there. But I don't, know if it is. I don't know if it isn't. Uh, I don't care to know if it is or isn't. Um, And I don't think it's important to know if it is or isn't. Um, But I believe that if it is, uh, I don't know, the idea of of one day every knee bowing and every tongue confessing to me is kind of beautiful because it means that ultimately we all end up there somehow. And that sounds a lot more like a loving father doing everything he can to rescue his children. Did that answer your question? Uh, yeah. That sounds a lot like no. <laughs> no, it did. <laughs> I disagree with you, but I don't think that's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, there we go. Get into that. What are, you, yeah. what are your thoughts? Since no, you don't no, I, don't, I actually, I'm not that interested in talking about it. Um, <laughs> but I, I'll talk about something similar. 
Let me finish answering your question. So, first, I just, I think one thing that has been bouncing around in my head while we're talking about this is just like the understanding that for a lot of people, um, the idea of a heaven has been a real comfort when they lost somebody. And as much as I, as much as I do think that the ideas we were handed have caused real harm, as we talked a lot about, I think for anyone who's lost someone, that desire to see them again is good. Um, that desire to know that they're okay is good. And I think we would all agree um, from wherever we come that we uh, can't make any fact assertions about the afterlife. That seems to be pretty universally true. But even outside of faith traditions, I would say if that's important to you to like think that, you know, a loved one who's passed on is okay, we have, and we have really interesting data even from like near-death experiences, people of all different beliefs, all different cultures having experiences of significance in the moments leading up to death or people who have died and been resuscitated. There's, there's like lots of accounts and none of them are... Uh, I'm not going to like, we're not going to go to science. There's, this is not science. This is not uh, any kind of certainty assertions at all. Uh, but needless to say, there's enough discrepancy out there to say there's a lot we don't know. And there's, uh, just for anyone who that hope is important for, I think even if your ideas about Christian salvation are shifting, you don't have to give that up. Like there's, I think there's certainly grounds to, to say, I don't know what happens after we die, but I hope for reunification. I met someone who, I literally met someone who I'm working with who has died. Um, I met him a month ago and I tried to ask him what it was like. And I wasn't with him for very long, but he was like, yeah, it's like you go home. And he's like, other than that, there's no really point in talking about it because you don't have a reference for it. And I was like, how interesting. I was like, that's like such a believable answer to me. Yeah. Of like, all right, we have no reference for that. Of course yeah. we don't. Of course we have that's no idea crazy. what we're talking about. Uh, anyway, um, all that to say, uh, yeah, there's a lot we don't know. And for anyone who is finding comfort in the idea that their loved one is all right and they may see them again i think that there's plenty of space for that um, regardless of what you're thinking or not thinking or moving on from and uh, last thing from me is just for anyone who has experienced like real psychological damage torment from being taught about the idea of hell at a young age uh, i'm so sorry I'm so sorry, and I understand. And um, there, we're still, we're still pretty early in learning what that does to the human brain. Um, but just from experience, it 
it's so devastating. It's so, so devastating, and I'm so sorry. Yeah, and I think I'm learning how to see it like even recognize how it's affected other areas of my life like very real areas of my life how it's developed pathologies for me that I'm having to unpack and um, and heal from so I really recommend talking to somebody about it it's a very real trauma that you deserve to talk to a qualified therapist about um, I was I was in denial about that for a long time. It didn't feel like a real trauma, um, but it is. It's a real trauma. It's um, it's significant, and because of not because of me, but because of people who have told me this, it's healable. Like your brain can heal from that. So, yeah, it's real, and I'm sorry, and it's healable. I think that for me, when we're talking about salvation, Andy, I, I like what you just said because you've you've almost put words to something that maybe I couldn't. And as you were talking, I was thinking, I want to talk about salvation divorced from the idea of an afterlife. Mm-hmm. And if I'm framing it that way to answer the question, am I saved? Devin, back to your point, I, I do, I think it's more of a journey, I, you know, and I like to think I'm on that journey, um, but I don't know that I have a whole lot to say beyond that. Thanks everyone for hanging out for another episode. If you want to connect, you can email hosts at lonelymountainmystics.com. You can go to the website or check us out on Twitter. We really would love to hear from you. If you want to support the show, you can go to the website and click on Become a Patron or head straight over to patreon.com slash Lonely Mountain Mystics. A big thank you to those who have become patrons. It's not an exaggeration to say that the podcast would not exist without you. One final way that you can show your support is by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. It's really one of the best ways that you can help others discover the show. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. guy like so, the guy died and he says he died he yeah. died while peeing off a very high building that's isn't, isn't that ridiculous that's huh i that's have crazy. peed off of a high building oh, don't do it again <laughs> don't, don't do it again apparently you can pass out and fall off wow